Uh, open your Bible, Second Chronicles, and it is church time. Church time. So, Second Chronicles chapter 34 in the Old Testament. If you find Psalms, go to the left, and you're going to go several books to the left, and you'll hit Second Chronicles chapter 34. And um, uh, Nita, if I could ask you, there is a, there's two lights there that say CL. Um, uh, the one on the right is on, but click on the other one. Second Chronicles 34. That one should be it, yes? Uh-huh, that's it. There you go. That makes me see better. Second Chronicles 34. <clears throat> in two verses, we're going to look at, starting with in verse 26 and 27. This morning, I want to talk to you about getting a heart for the Bible. Second Chronicles 34, verse 26 and 27. Still looking at Josiah. And we want to look at his reaction to the Bible a little more particularly this morning. Verse 26. And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which thou hast heard. Watch. Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardest the words against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes, and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Now, um, it's 640 B.C., that's 2,661 years ago. It was a long time ago, but there is a young boy who's just been made king. He's eight years old. Can you imagine being, being a king at eight years old? I'm sure every kid wishes that would be true, but it was a lot of responsibility. Uh, his name is Josiah, and it's a very good name. I, uh, I love when I meet a Josiah, and uh, we have one here. Um, Josiah, I have one in my uh, family. Josiah is a very, very good name in the Bible. It's better to have a good name than wealth and all the other honors that people pour out on people. His name was Josiah. He was the son of a series of, of kings going all the way back to David, Ammon, Manasseh, Hezekiah, all the way back to King David. His world that he was, was now you know, participating in in, the, in in ruling was in ruins. God's people, Jewish people, were far from God. There was, there was apathy towards God. There was idolatry towards God. They were living so wickedly that they were taking and literally sacrificing their children. You wouldn't think that, that, that people would do that, and yet abortion is the very same thing. Out of convenience, you get rid of a life or for your own success. So here, in that day, they would take a child and they would sacrifice that child in order, not to God, but to false gods. They would sacrifice in order for their crops to grow or for their business to expand and things. That was how wicked it had been, been going downhill for over 100 years since the last good king, which was Hezekiah. Now, what happened was this little town, uh, little town, this, this, this bit of property that we call Judah, Israel used to be the entire um, uh, area there, but it had gone through a division, gone through a civil war. A lot of nations go through that. And the bottom part was, was trying, uh, well, was trying to survive. And this nation that he's now the king of was, com uh, was completely surrounded by a, a, an empire called the Babylonian Empire that had spread already at that point all across um, from Babylon up into Turkey and down into Egypt. And here's little Judah, that little green dot there. And Judah was still its own nation, but pressure was put upon it. It was surrounded by this empire that was trying to take over every piece of property. And so how, what, how is he going to react? What is he going to do? Does he, does he raise an army? Not to, get, not to fight against the Babylonians. So um, this young man discovers not a secret weapon. He doesn't have an air force, doesn't have tanks, doesn't have an army. God gives him a Bible. So I need you to go back, go to verse 14, and let's go back and just review a couple of things that we learned last week when they brought out the money. Now, again, the temple's been, mis, been misused and disused for almost 100 years. And they keep finding things inside it. They find money, um, they find rubbish, and they're cleaning it out. And it says, and when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the high priest, he found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. 
And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, all that was committed to thy servants, they do it. You told us to clean up the temple. We're trying to do it. Verse 17, and they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers, under the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, hmm, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. He didn't tell him what it was. He says, I found a book in there. And Shaphan read it before the king. It came to pass. Let me see how far I wanted to read on this one. Down, to, Yeah, just to 18 here. And the first, what does he find? He finds the first five books of the Old Testament. They're all in scrolls, so it's not like a normal book like you and I would have. This was a major find. He carries these books, they're scrolls, in, but it's all part of one book called the Law. And he brings them in. He sets them down, and I don't know what Josiah is thinking. He's 26 years old, okay? He's not that eight-year-old kid anymore. Time has passed. And then comes this guy bringing all these scrolls. Now, I'm sure... He's seen scrolls lots of times before. They record current events and so on and so forth. But then he brings this book and he starts to read from it. And he begins to read Genesis. And he reads start to finish the entire book of Genesis and Exodus, then Leviticus, then Numbers, then Deuteronomy. Uh, now, I have to say this. Josiah was not ignorant of the Bible. It wasn't like he had never heard any of this. But for the first time in his life, he had never heard it with his own ears. He had never heard the words of God. He had heard people tell about what the Bible said, but he'd never, ever experienced it for himself. And he has a reaction. As this man is reading that, he doesn't stop him and say, oh, this is boring. He doesn't stop him and say, oh, I don't understand this or that. I've said it before. Mark Twain was asked one time, what do you think of the Bible? Now, Mark Twain was not a believer. Mark Twain um, was uh, was not a Christian, right? And he would tell you that. But he says this. He said, there's a lot of things I don't understand about the Bible. But those things don't worry me. It's the things I do understand that worry me. And that's a very, very astute statement. And the same with me. There's no way any human can understand the Bible start to finish. That's why we grow. That's why we learn. That's why we study. But what we do understand ought to get to our hearts, ought to affect us where we go, wow. So he's listening to Shaphan read the Bible to him. And then when he's finished, now I'm guessing about 13 hours later, he's reading at normal reading speed. And as he's reading, Josiah's sitting there listening, pondering, taking it all in. And his reaction is phenomenal. Look at verse 19. <clears throat> and it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, and Ahiakim. Uh, well, let me, uh, well, the, yeah, let me read all the way down. Uh, uh, and Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, and Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the servant of the king, saying, go, inquire the Lord for me. Go pray. Go ask somebody to pray for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us. He's believing what he heard because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after that is written in this book. So I, did you notice what he did? Now, what I'm watching is I'm watching a man who has been affected by what he read. It, it got him to his heart, so much so that he, he felt defeated. Now, you may not rip your clothes when you get upset, but some people, when they get upset, they punch the wall. Some kick a chair, all right? Some yell. These are all reactions of our, of our heart that's been either upset or sometimes people cry. Here is the king and he in his, in his broken, he's defeated. I want you to understand. He realizes not only is Babylon surrounded, but God is against us. How many have ever quoted the verse that says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Isn't that a good verse? But flip side, if God is against you, you will not survive. So he is realizing we're doomed. He is driven to pray. He's not driven to give up. He's driven to pray and to seek God. Uh, so he actually sends to a prophetess. Her name was Huldah. 
There's a bit of story back behind that. But he, uh, he wants to know what's going to happen. Is this the end? Are, are, we, are we, is this kaput? Are we doomed? All right. And Huldah responded to him, and look at verse 23. In verse 23, <clears throat> she answered them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell ye the man that sent you to me. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place. Uh-oh. I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book which they have just read before the king of Judah. Everything I said that will happen, is going to happen. Verse 25. Because they have forsaken me. You need to underline those words. This is the reason why God has to judge. And is called reaping what you sow. Because they have forsaken me. And burned incense unto other gods. That they might provoke me to anger. With all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be poured out. Upon this place. And shall not be quenched. But there's a but in verse 26. And as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Verse 28, Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil I will bring upon this people and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the word king again. What has she just said? She said very simply, I've put off the judgment. I delayed it. Now, I want you to understand the wages of sin is death. If you want to live long, the Bible gives you several promises how to live long. Number one, honor your parents. Doesn't it promise that? So there are ways to put off death, right? Take care of your health. That's a way to put off death. Stay away from sin. Constantly confess sin. Constantly get victory over sin. You want to live long, you can put off the ultimate, which is death, can't you? And here, his reaction to the righteous judgment of God saved not only his life, but the life of that nation. There's another king who did the very same thing when he heard of coming judgment. A very rebellious prophet named Jonah came into town. From the top of his lungs, he says, you're doomed. 40 days and God's going to destroy this city. And he walked through that town, terrifying everybody. Children were holding on to their parents. When the king heard about it, you know what the king did? He told everybody, time to fast. We're not going to do anything until we know whether God is going to do that. And let's repent right now. And that repentance of that king and those people saved that nation. So I want you, we're going to focus on Josiah's reaction to hearing the Bible. Now, how does that apply to us? You see, the Bible's kind of important. Um, judgment is still coming. It is like a fire on the horizon. If you haven't noticed it on the news, if you haven't noticed it, we're, we're watching the world catch on fire, aren't we? And it's not people that are really, that are behind it. It's God behind it. So we can believe the devil and the devil is at work. There's no doubt. But I want you to see, Babylon was not just this out of nowhere kingdom that was coming and, and surrounding Judah. Babylon, God said, He's my servant. He's doing my bidding. So this is a terrifying thought. When trouble comes into your life, when pressure's on you, we can blame the devil, but usually it's God saying, I've got to humble you. Now, people want to be in charge. And they want to try to hurt you and try to humble you. Well, they don't realize, you know, God judges those who go against, but he will use you to humble and to bring somebody down, and you will say, wow, why did I do that? I don't know. Here is God using a wicked Babylonian king. And just like God is using some of our wicked rulers here in, in, in Europe, judgment's coming. It's like a fire on the horizon. If we want the same promise that God can delay the judgment, if we want the same promise, we must have the same reactions as Josiah did. Uh, 
He had, he had a son named Jehoiakim who hated the Bible, rejected it, and God's judgment came in his lifetime. He was the last king of Judah. People desperately need to be upset and offended and agitated by the words in this book. You see, sometimes we want, when we read the Bible, we want it to be just a love letter. And in some ways it is. We want it to be very encouraging, and often it is. But when we come to the Bible and it upsets us, amen. It agitates us, amen. It frustrates us, it hurts us. You see, a tender heart is a soft heart that is hurtable. Okay, tough, tough uh, hearts don't get hurt. Don't don't respond to 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 being attacked or being, being pointed out. A soft heart is easy to be entreated. The Bible calls it, which means moved by just words. A soft heart seeks God's mercy and wants everyone to do right. So. Uh, you know, don't let fake book. I know a lot of people get offended on, on fake book. You ever been upset by what you've read? You ever notice anybody get upset by what you wrote? Everybody's so easily offended by fake book. And yet, when they come to the Bible, they won't let it speak to them and upset them because the next step after getting upset is to repent. You know, um, turn... To, to repent means to turn from our sinful ways that we naturally do and turn to God in faith, asking for mercy. That's what Josiah did. So Josiah went further. Look in verse 29. Verse 29, he continues. Then the king sent and he gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. Stop there and think about it. He's now sat through the reading of Genesis to Deuteronomy. And then he says, I'm going to read it to you. And he's going to take another 13, 13 and a half hours. This is brilliant, folks. He calls for a meeting there in verse 29 of everyone that will come. This is very important. When things are bad, when God has spoken to your heart, it's time to talk about it. And if God has changed and done anything in you, it ought to be something you want to tell the world. Uh, Satan right now is hindering our ability to meet together, isn't he? If I called for a meeting of Christians, the government is saying, you're not allowed to. Isn't that demonic? Isn't that something? We have to get back to assembling. I believe that the church is an essential business. It's my father's business, our father's business. So please keep praying against this disease. Please keep praying for our government because we need to gather together. Just as he, he could not just say, Let's get everybody to do right. No, he had to get them together. They had to read and hear with their own ears. That's why preaching is still the way that God saves the lost. Because by hearing, you can read it for yourself and not do anything for you. But when somebody can emphasize and can be explained and can draw you into a conclusion, all of a sudden preaching pulls you and pushes you and, and grips you. So that you decide, you know what? Either he's right or he's wrong. And if he's right, you act. So the people were, were commanded to attend. You know, I, I find that there are Bibles in prison. There are Bibles in prison. And I think that's a, that's a last-ditch hope to try to help somebody who has ruined their life. But wouldn't it have been smarter to have put that Bible in the hands of a six-year-old child? and teach them about God, and teach them about right, teach them how to pray, and how to do right, and how to honor mom and dad? Wouldn't it be right to start them off with the Bible instead of trying to finish them off with the Bible? We have it all backwards. If we started the Bible when they were young, at home, in church, we would not have so many people in prison who discover the Bible for the first time. Doesn't matter when you find the Bible, but wouldn't it have been nice if you discovered it when you were young? So he called for a meeting. He then read the law out loud to everyone. Did you notice that? It says he read, they're in the middle. He read in their ears all the words of the book of covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. 
That's 13 and a half hours worth of reading. Uh, Deuteronomy, you're in Chronicles. Hold your place. Go to the left and find Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6. He read out of these words, these very same words you're reading from. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6. <clears throat> and you ought to circle these two words here. Verse 6. And these next two words. These words which I command thee this day shall be where? In thy heart. So these words, not just words that are just floating around in the atmosphere, not just words that are on the internet, but words that you can see and hold with your own hands. That's why the Bible needs to be read by everyone in your home. Yes, by dad first and by mom and by each of the children in your home. As soon as they can read, they need to be able to pick it. Don't you ever give your kids the impression the Bible's hard to understand because they'll pick it up right from you. If they think you can't read it, why would they try? So you're going to have to just enjoy it. If you come to a word that you can't pronounce, just make it up. <laughs> they don't know any better. I remember my kids asking me, why does the toilet go round and round? And I was trying to figure out, how am I going to explain gravity, centrifugal force, and suction? I just said, well, when things go down, they go round. And they went, cool. And they walked away. It didn't have to be so accurate. Uh, my older daughter, Sharon, asked, why is the sky blue? And I thought about, oh, how am I going to explain water and refraction? I just said, because God made it blue. And that was enough. Don't get all caught up. I don't understand this. I know I'm going to say wrong things. Read the Bible. What they do understand will work on their heart. Either Bible reading has to be the foundation of our church and our nation, or we're doomed. Can I say that? You say, well, Bible reading, what power is in that? You don't realize that's the foundation. Everything else we do is either built upon sand, on men's words, or on the word of God, God's words. Jesus said, when a man hears my words and does them, it's like a man building his house upon a rock. But if you don't know the word of God, you're doomed. So he read and he knew the importance of those people hearing the word of God. Then he returned everyone to the covenant of the law. Look in verse 31. And the king stood in his place and he made a covenant before the Lord. Not a new covenant, but he's renewing the covenant of the Old Testament. To walk after the Lord. What does that mean? So I watched as, as uh, you know, I watched my, my grandkids and uh, Ruth will come into a room and little column who i thought i had all my attention you know i had all of his attention and column's there and we're playing and he's laughing he's giving me a hug and everything and mama comes passing by you know what column does Whoop. and he goes right after her that's a cool thing you know when god begins to speak to you or god's trying to move in your life you follow after that you say god i want that whatever you have for me god where are we going today and this was the renewal of the covenant. He said, he said he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments, to obey them and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart. Did you see that? There's his heart again. Does it mean that he understood all the commandments? Do you know how many rules we understood when we were kids that our parents told us? When our parents says, I, you can't do this or I want you to do that, we went, Oh, give me the explanation. I want the flow chart of why that's the right thing to do. No, we weren't allowed to do that. We just had to trust. And here, Josiah saying, Lord, I don't understand your commandments. I don't know what they're good for. I just trust you enough to obey you. And isn't it amazing? Those commandments kept the Jews very healthy. Those dietary laws are pretty good. They actually, while the Black Plague was running through Europe and while people eating pig meat and eating all kinds of, uh, they, they ate and they drank things that you wouldn't want to know about, thinking that they were safe. And the Jews, just going by the Bible, they never had illness like the rest of the world did. So even though they didn't understand germs, even though they didn't understand what we call health, they did what God said and God said, God, God kept them healthy. They returned to this covenant with all, and the king first, with all his heart 
and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. He decided we're going to live by what we read. You know, when the prodigal son returned home, I want you to think for a second, what was he actually submitting to? Dad's rules again, wasn't he? What made it so that he left? He thought dad was out of step. He thought dad was old fashioned. He thought dad didn't understand. He thought dad had, had, had gone away with the dinosaurs. It was time to go out and live his own life, the prodigal son said. It was time to go to him, find his own uh, fun and to do his own thing. So he took his dad's money and he blew it all. When he came home, guess what he did? He said, dad, what time am I supposed to get up in the morning? What are we having for supper? Dad, what do you want me to do? When he came home, he came back to the rules that he rejected when he left. Amen. And when you come back to God, you're desiring, God, whatever you say, I've had enough of the world. I'm not going back that way anymore. I've come back to your way, your rules, your expectations. You know what's amazing? Look at verse 32. All the people stood to it. I like this. Look at this visual. Verse 32, response. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of the fathers. Now, to stand to it means to agree, but it's a visual. It's a, I stand to it. I visually agree. I don't just say, okay. No, there is a visual there's a, you can, uh, a visible reaction by the people of, we will do this. You know, I find that the world is going to hell for two reasons. You ready? There are two reasons why the world is going to hell. One is because lost people either don't hear the word of God or they refuse to believe it. Okay. Now, I find most people don't even know it. All right. So we start there. We got to, Get people to hear the Bible. Faith come by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But they either don't hear it or they refuse to believe it. That's why people go to hell. You say, well, don't they go to hell because they're adulterers and uh, um, um, uh, they're murderers and they're thieves and the covetous? Well, that's the fruit. But they go to hell because they refuse to know how to be saved. They refuse the way that God has made for them to be forgiven for all of those sins. The sins aren't the problem, the heart is. Does that make sense? You will, somebody will send this and somebody else will send that. And somebody else, it's not the sin that sends you to hell. All of those sins are the result of a messed up heart that must be born again. But the second reason why the world is going to hell is because God's people refuse to believe it as well, refuse to hear it. They've got a Bible in their hand, they go to a Bible believing church but they don't live it. And so our world is going to hell because we refuse to live like the light we've been called to be. We refuse to open our mouths and to preach the gospel like we were commanded to. We refuse to live any different than the world. How many churches look like a nightclub? Too many. How many Christians live like every neighbor on their block? We're not supposed to do that. All the people stood to it and says, we'll go by the book from now on. So the cleanup began in verse 33. And Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertain to the children of Israel. So he began to spread and he said, we're going to clean up. We're going to go deeper and we're going to clean things up. He'd already cleaned up Jerusalem. He was cleaning up the temple. Now he's going further. He took away all the abominations of all the countries that pertain to the children of Israel. And they made all that were present in Israel to serve, to serve God, even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days, they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. So he's, he's going, you know, uh, uh, a guy, when he's asked to clean the kitchen, you know what we do? We kind of, we walk away. A woman comes in and says, did you clean the kitchen? <laughs> all of a sudden, she pulls stuff out. Man. You missed this spot and all this stuff. She does deep cleaning compared to a guy who's just sort of removing it so it doesn't look so bad. Josiah says, we've got to go deep. And isn't that true about the Christian life? We can sort of clean up on the outside, but isn't it important for us to clean up on the inside? Isn't it for us to, every time I read the Bible, for us to say, Lord, go deeper. 
show me something that is wrong that I still don't see. Josiah is, Josiah is a good example. And I, I, he held nothing back. Look, in, look at chapter 35 and verse 17. Next chapter, verse 17, and the children of Israel that were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days, just like they were supposed to. So he's starting to bring back all of the, the holidays that were the religious holidays, especially the Passover, verse 18, and watch this. And there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet, going back before David. He says there was no Passover like that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet, neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they participated in the, the greatest celebration of salvation from Egypt that had ever been done. I, when, 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 when Josiah decided he was going to do something, he says, I'm going to be a fanatic about it. How come if somebody throws you a ball, do you become crazy? Somebody handed you, if, if somebody uh, who likes basketball, somebody threw you a basketball, all of a sudden, I mean, you show it off and you're really cool and out you go. You become fanatical about that ball. Somebody starts talking about stocks. She says, oh, yeah, I'm making a lot of money on Tesla and I'm moving on this stock and I'm doing that. And all of a sudden we're real good and we get into it like we're a fanatic. But when we talk about scripture, when we talk about God and we talk about his works, we're like, hmm. Josiah was the opposite. He says, the Bible says we need to have a Passover. Let's have the best one ever. It's Sunday. We're supposed to have church. Let's have the best service ever. I get to play the piano. I get to play the guitar. I get to give the announcements. I get to get to uh, teach the children. I get to go soul winning. It ought to be like the world is on fire behind me. Passionate. He held nothing back. Let's hold nothing back. When it comes time to praise God, we ought to praise God with all our voice. We ought to, when somebody says, how you doing? You ought to say, man, God is good. Better than I deserve. So now not everyone's response is good. Most resist the message. Told you last week, his own son. And what a grief for a father who wants so much to do right to have a son who so much turns around. He's a spoiled brat. He's passed on the kingdom and he, evidently the father couldn't pass on the faith. I don't know what happened. All I know is his own son, Jehoiakim, when he heard the very same judgments by God, and he could have had the same response and, passed, and, and pushed the judgment back another generation. He got angry, and he started cutting up that scroll, and he burned it, thinking he could get rid of the commandments of God and the judgments of God. Zechariah, hold your place here, and I'm going to get you to go to a minor prophet. Before Matthew, there's a book called Zechariah, Z-E-C-H, Zechariah, chapter 7, just before Matthew, Zechariah 7, <clears throat> in verse 11. Zechariah 7, 11, in verse 11 and 12, but they refused to hearken. Hearken is an old word for they refused to listen and pulled away the shoulder. You ever, you ever? Tried to just tap somebody on the shoulder and they pull that shoulder away. I don't want you touching me. Hmm. Seven Eleven lost my place here. Let me go. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and they stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone. Now, an adamant stone is not quite a diamond, but it's one of the hardest stones there is. You can't break it. Why'd they do that? Why'd they make their hearts so hard? Lest they should hear the law. And the words that the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets, therefore came great, a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore, they were greatly in trouble. Now, I didn't respond well when I first heard the Bible. You know, I thought when I was listening to the Bible, I thought they were interesting stories. Talking about when I was 17 and I'm sitting in church. And I thought the Bible was, oh, it's for all those people in church. Not definitely normal people like me. Did you ever feel that? 
Did you ever feel that as he was reading the Bible and he was preaching, that he was always preaching about somebody else? How many have, have had the moment where you said, I hope my husband heard that. <laughs> hope my wife heard that point. You see, that's the wrong approach. And that's how we normally are. Our nature naturally rejects the message. We don't like have anybody, anybody having power over us. I, I thought of this. People want a Bible they can use. They don't want a book that uses them. We only want our own power. We want a power that comes from us. We don't want a power over us. That's why the New Age movement has had such appeal. People will spend a fortune on crystals and on, um, uh, I don't know, pyramids, and they will, they will buy um, uh, potions and they will learn uh, meditation techniques because they want the power to be from them instead of over them. Pentecostals and charismatics have, have bought into the same idea that you can, with your own words, can change the weather. There's some idiots that you shouldn't ever spend time watching. They're called televangelists. What they are are liars and they're thieves. And they, uh, I'll mention Kenneth Hagin got up there. Kenneth Copeland got up there and he rebuked COVID and says, COVID is gone. Well, that was in March. He's taught all his life that you have the power with your words, not God's word, but your words to control the weather. There was a couple of times hurricanes coming into Florida and Louisiana and Texas, and all those televangelists all seem to live down there. They all said, I rebuke you, hurricane. And the hurricane still came right on in and wiped everything out. You see, people want, and even religious people want, a power that comes from them. How ungodly that is. That's what the devil wants. Instead of, Lord, the power is in that word and the power is to change me and to change people by submission to it. I don't use it. It uses me. It tells me what to say. There are four different responses. Go to Luke chapter 8. I said you, could, you can leave um, uh, Second Samuel, uh, Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles for a minute. Go to Luke chapter 8. I just want to remind you of these four soils because they are actually four responses to the word of God. Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. Jesus tells a parable, which is a story with, with, a, with a, a moral story with a lesson behind it. And in verse 11, he explains the parable of the sower and the seed. And he says, now the parable is this, the seed is what? It's the word of God. It's like seed. Those by the wayside are they that hear. How many of you are listening this morning online and in here? How many of you are listening? Good. Well, watch it. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Wait a minute. He describes a hard heart like and he actually, Matthew, when he describes it, he says, the devil comes like birds. And if I went along the footpath and I just started throwing seed on the footpath, all I'm doing is feeding the birds, aren't I? There's no way that seed is ever going to produce any, any growth. All of a sudden, birds are going to say, breakfast, and they're going to eat to their heart's content, and the seed will be gone. And so he starts with a hard heart that, that only gets walked upon and is never soft and never breaks and never takes the seed. So the first soil is the hard soil. No interest. Don't want to listen. Don't want to accept it. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, they on the, then he describes, they on the rock are they which when they hear, they receive the word with joy. Well, they love it. These have no root which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, they fall away. The second one's called the stony heart. That stony heart has no depth. They never allow God to get deep into the corners of their life. They never allow God to go into their past and to show them that they need to forgive, to, give them, to show them that he was there and they were rejecting him and that he's got a plan for this thing. Never allow God to go and apply the blood of Christ and his suffering for them. Never allow God to go into that deep, uh, habitual sin and, and, and forgive and to cleanse it. 
Never let God's word go deep. Always just let it just bounce off, bounce off like landing on stones. Verse 14 gives us the next one. That's the thorny heart. He says, and they which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and the pleasures of this life. And they bring no fruit to perfection. Think about the cares there. Those are the burdens, the troubles, the heartaches, the afflictions. They choke out the word. What did, what did Josiah do when everything was ruined outside? Babylon is, is surrounding them. When everything's ruined inside, he's learning that God's judgment is coming and God, God is angry. He went to God in prayer. He didn't start worrying about, well, what will people think? Oh, well, what will this do for my empire? What is this going to, how, how am I going to, how am I going to take care of taxes and all that stuff? No. He didn't want to have a thorny heart. Look at verse 15. But on that, on the good ground are they which in an, e, in an honest and a good heart, having heard the word, they keep it. The keep means they obey it and they bring forth fruit with, with, with patience. So the soft heart is that soft soil that you can just move just ever so slightly back, put the soil, put the seed in the soil and then cover it up. No heart, no problem, easy to plant and it will produce fruit. What kind of heart did Josiah have? He had that soft heart. What did his son have? Heart. You say, well, I'm on the thorny stage. I, none of those are any good, folks. That's the only one that's good. So what do we do? How do we keep our hearts soft? Go to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. <clears throat> First thing you need to do is you need to examine your heart using God's word. Listen to his opinion about you. Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God is quick and, who is it, powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's like a surgical knife, scalpel, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It gets down to the invisible part of you and of the joints and the marrow. And it is a discerner, a critic of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Okay, so I said for you to examine your heart. Let me tell you, how about letting, do it this way. Why don't you let the Bible examine you? Do you know what education without the Bible led to? The Dark Ages. When they made the Bible away from everybody and they made the church and science and everything without the Bible, we had a thousand years of dark ages. We're back there now. Matter of fact, education without the Bible has produced war after war after war. All the nations that got rid of religion ended up slaughtering tens of millions of people. Think about the last hundred years. All nations that got rid of religion. I'm not for false religions. Don't misunderstand. But when people got, a, got rid of God, in the name of the state, they ended up slaughtering tens of millions of people. Just look at Soviet Russia, 1918, China, North Korea. Every nation that sought to do away with God slaughtered. And how are we doing it today? Our nation, Ireland, has joined the awful parade of nations that have done away with God and now are slaughtering tens of millions of children unborn. It doesn't stop, folks. We're not more advanced than Mao Zedong. We're not more advanced than, um, uh, uh, what was his name, uh, um, in Cambodia and all of these things. I can't even remember um, their names. I don't even want to remember them. There is today, without God, there is a hatred of life. You don't have to be eight years old or nine years old or 10 years old before somebody's talking about, I wish I were dead. The hatred of life. How about people who get to the old age and they say, I wish I were dead. So euthanasia is coming in like a, like a firestorm. Folks, we need that book in our church, in our home, in our nation, or we're doomed. This year is about the Bible. And if it is one thing I have, it is so that it gets in us to get into the world. 
Secondly, hear it for yourself. Go back to Deuteronomy 6, and I will we'll see this again. I had you read it, but Deuteronomy 6. I think it's worth repeating. Verse 4. It is a command. I don't mean just hear it when you come to church. You need to hear it as you read it yourself. Say, I can't read. Yes, you can. You may, it may take you 10 minutes to finish a page of the Bible, but I would rather work at that and get one page a day comp accomplished than anything else in this world because that one page could save your family, could save your sanity. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And here's our verse. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. How did it get into your heart? It's got to first go into your ears. It's got to go into your eyes. It's got to start coming out of your mouth so that you hear yourself even saying, go to chapter 32 in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32 in verse 46. Moses reminds them, he says this, Deuteronomy 32, 46, and he said unto them, set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day. Set means to attach, almost like addict yourself, glue yourself to these words which, shall, which ye shall now then turn around and command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. Look at verse 47. For it is not a vain thing for you because it is your life. What is the Bible you hold in your hand? That is your life. You know, they stole that on uh, Luke Skywalker. There's, there's Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he's talking about the lightsaber. And Luke doesn't know what it is. And he says, it is your life. And he's pointing to a lightsaber. It's a fictitious object that doesn't exist. And yet God already said, the Bible you hold in your hand is your life. And through this thing, ye shall prolong your days. This one book will lengthen your days in the land whether you go over Jordan to possess it. Romans 10, 17 says, For then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Not by a preacher. I, I try to preach the Bible, but you need to see it with your own eyes, hear it with your own ears, examine it and go, that's what God says, so be it. Third, put up a fight. If you're going to start to obey the Bible, you're getting into a fight because guess who's going to be your worst enemy? You are. You're not going to like when it tells you what you ought to do. You're not going to like when it tells you you shouldn't be doing what you like doing. And you've got to put up a fight against your laziness, against your old habits, against the culture that mocks that Bible. It says we don't need the Bible anymore. You have given up hours and weeks and months and years of your time, you, your life. Think about your life. How much, if you're, I'm 57 years old. Of that 57 years, and I was saved when I was 17, but just look at of that 57 years, how much of it? Have I wasted and thrown away and given in to the world instead of to the will of God? What if every Christian actually just did the will of God? That doesn't mean that everybody has to become a missionary, pastor, you know, do the extreme. I don't know. I think everybody ought to be. At least they want to be. But if everybody just did what God wanted them to be, do what they wanted, what they wanted to do, it's not that hard. It is your life, he says. Put up a fight. Pay the price to get back right with God. Don't care how you feel, this is your life and your sanity and your future. Make a commitment. You know, if there is a covenant agreement there in that Bible, how to, how to walk with God, how to enjoy God, how to live for God, I need to do it his way. That's the covenant. I go, listen, if I want to talk to God, I just don't talk to God as Craig Ledbetter. I talk to God as somebody under the blood. I talk to, talk to God as somebody who's going through Jesus Christ. I do it his way. I don't do it through the church. I don't do it through, through rituals and ceremonies and vestments and, and uh, um, money and name dropping. I go through it because I do it by the covenant of God, the new covenant, through Jesus Christ. 
Salvation is not a negotiation. You know what salvation is? You ready? It is complete surrender to following God's word. Say, well, I'll take Jesus, put him in my back pocket. That's not salvation. You know, there are people who have prayed a prayer and count that that prayer saved them and never saved them one second. When, when you take that Bible so seriously that you're scared of going to hell and you're scared of facing God and you come to find out God has made a way to save a wretch like you and to forgive you and to make you his child and he's offering you eternal life, you grab a heartbeat and says, give it to me. I want to live that life now. See, what we do is we take the gift, we put it in our back pocket and we live our old life. That's not salvation. That's a fraud. You can't get married and then go back to your old life. There's a new life you just entered into. The Christian life is not a passing fad. Too many Christians I've seen start off bright and wonderful, and three weeks later, they're gone and never look back. It's not something you do until you get bored. It's a lifelong commitment to following the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. You're either in or you're out. Now, I know there are times you get out. I know that. You fall. You, you, you get discouraged. You find yourself running around in circles. Maybe you're not in church for a while. I understand all that. But your heart is constantly smiting you saying, I got to get right. I got to get right. That's how you know you're saved. If, however, all you're doing is constantly falling away and you have no problem with it, you know what? You're not. I have a problem when I'm not right with God. I have a problem. I don't want to live that way. You know, you know, God offers us this. Why don't you come on in? Water's warm. And it's powered by a relationship. This is a very important thought. Your Bible is a relationship book. Your Bible is a relationship book for us to be able to walk with God and to have his blessings. If God is so interested in my heart, I want you to in on a little truth. Are you ready? The Bible didn't come from the mind of God. The Bible came from the heart of God. And he wants my heart. That's all he wants. He doesn't want me to understand him to the nth degree. He doesn't want me to try to figure out what all he's doing. He just wants my heart because he has a heart. And this Bible is a relationship book. Now, the relationship's on his terms. I'm sorry. It's not on my terms. The covenant's on his, relation, on his terms. You know, uh, I make the mistake. I'm sure some people in this do too. You get a new device. You get a new pro uh, uh, product or something, and it's got on and off switches, and it's got buttons, and it's got a plug, and it's got an instruction manual. All right, you ready for the confession? Most of us never read the instruction manual, do we? We go, oh, I can figure this out. It's not working. And after the frustrated three hours, you go looking for that, where's those instructions? Do you know what? Your family problems, your, your financial, your, your mental, everything that your problems are you trying to live without the instructions. And God is trying to draw us back to the book so that we can have that joy that Jesus said, my joy I give unto you, not as the world gives. My peace. Read your Bible, not for knowledge, but to know how to walk with him, how to be able to talk with him, how to, how to share every moment and stay in that moment with Jesus. Power, that Bible will never be anything to you until it's important, until you're looking for it like the instruction manual it is meant to be. And it produces the best results. I'm finished with this. There's a good reward for obeying the Bible. Read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who meditates in the word of God. You'll get a better heart. If you're in this book, you'll have a, you'll have a saved soul. We're born again by the word of God, man. You just believe it and it works. You'll have a different life, a better life. How many, of you, how many enjoy living the will of other people? How many enjoy living following the, your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, ye will do, Jesus said. But when you do the will of God, you'll have a better life. You know what a better life looks like? You're full of the spirit of God, living in the will of God, living like the son of God, all for the glory of God. And as more and more people read and follow this book, these words you hold in your hand, 
I believe God will spare our nation. If you want Ireland to collapse and to fall apart, just like all the other nations in history, then do nothing. But if you want Ireland to be saved and spared for a bit more longer time, you just need to read your Bible. Like it's, it, your life depends upon it. You say, I don't know how to read the Bible. Uh, start in Matthew. Read two or three chapters a day. Not just today, but every day. Say, well, there's days where I can't. Okay, okay. You may have one that you miss. Read it the next day. But boy, you ought to be a Bible reader. So discover the Bible for yourself. I don't care if you're six years, 26, or 96 years of age. God's word is still true. It is right on the money. Judgment is still coming. And you need to hear this book. You need to know what to do. If we want the same promises, we must react the same way as Josiah did. Because your reactions to the words you hear in this book will save both yourself and this nation from the coming judgment of God. Or it will damn you and your family and this nation. So, how are we going to react? Let's stand it. Let's visibly agree with God's words. Nod your head. Say, yes, Lord. Yes, I agree. I come from a, uh, a church culture where the pastor offers an invitation and people come to the front and they stand to, which means they make a visible uh, effort to say, I am agreeing with what he just said. I'm now going to God and I'm getting my heart right. That is a good thing. If you just sit there and go, well, I don't know. I would think about it. You won't. As soon as you go out those doors, you won't think one more second. of it. Let the cleanup begin again and again and again. Somebody's told me one time, pastor, every time I come to church, it's always negative, negative, sin, 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 judgment, judgment. I went, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. But I know this. It may be for them. Because God's trying to do some deep cleaning. And if you come to church and it's like, oh, I didn't, oh, I didn't want to talk about that. Oh, I didn't want God to deal with that. Josiah was not going to stop until every area of Judah and as far as he could go was clean and right with God. So when you come to church and it's like, all right, hit me again. I want to be right with God. Make it a relationship book. That Bible is not just theology. As awesome as that is, it's not just science. As much as it is, it is a relationship book. It is a covenant book of how I can walk with God. And how he wants to walk with me. Hold nothing back. I would love for our church to be fanatical. That when people come to our church, they go, man, that was the best service ever, ever. Man, the joy when, 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 uh, when, when it's Saturday night and you're, you're preparing to come to church on Sunday morning to pray, God, make church tomorrow the best ever. Because I want to be a fanatic. I want just the pastor getting away with it. And let's see the kind of results that God will give us. Father, these are thoughts from one life, the life of Josiah, a young king who could have grown up and just done his own thing, but instead you, at the right time in his life, you gave him the Bible again. And it is so much more important to have our own copy, to read it for ourselves, hear it for ourselves, not hear what somebody else thinks about it, but to hear it for ourselves and then react to it like Josiah did. His reaction saved a nation. And how we react to what we just heard. And I didn't even read all the curses and all the judgments that are coming on our generation. So when we do read and we do get to those parts in Leviticus and parts in Deuteronomy and parts in 1 in, um, uh, uh, Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, through the minor prophets and we read in Revelation in the coming judgments of God, we've got to have the right reaction. We've got to have the right heart. Somebody, but if their heart is soft and they realize, you know, I've tried living the Christian life and I failed tried believing and I don't know how to. Uh, if I can just listen to that book, I will, whatever God says do, I will do. If the Bible says I must be born again, then I'm going to get born again. I'm not just going to get religious. If the Bible says I need to repent, then I, whatever you want me to repent of, I'll repent of. I can't fix anything, but I can hate it. 
If you just ask me to look to Jesus, then I'll look to Jesus and I'll trust him to forgive me because I don't want not only go to hell, I don't want my family to go to hell. I don't want, I don't want to keep going through the hell I'm living now. I just want to start living like Jesus. So Lord, I just ask you to, in this moment as we finish, let this really be the beginning of a church and church families and a nation that rediscovers this book. In Jesus' name, amen.